Alexa, play Whitney Houston as loud as possible. Voice assistants are a great way to demonstrate how an algorithm works. In its simplest form, an algorithm is just a sequence of steps designed to accomplish a task. Alexa is using a voice recognition algorithm to understand I want music, that I want that music to be Whitney Houston's music, and that I want it played at maximum volume. It moves through a carefully designed sequence of rules that arrives at I want to dance with somebody playing loud enough to wake up my neighbors, as requested. So let's say, hypothetically, that's how I like to start every Friday morning. Except this Friday, I just say, Alexa, play some music. It's more likely to play Whitney Houston or something like it, because it's learned my preferences and can now better predict what I want to hear. That's just one example of how algorithms, machine learning, and AI are used in everyday life. Algorithms are used to predict the things you might buy the fastest route to a grocery store, your qualifications for a job, how, how likely you are to pay back a loan, and which Pokemon you are based on your grocery list. But whatever their purpose, algorithms all have one thing in common. They're designed by people. And in case you haven't caught a headline for the last 5,000 years or so, people are far from perfect. So when the stuff that goes into these algorithms is designed by humans, modeled after human behavior, the output can be just as flawed. Bias in the form of racism, sexism, and other forms of discrimination become solidified in code, embedded into everyday products, and affect people's lives in very real ways. So today, we're going to shed light on the dangers of bias in AI, why it's so hard to fix, and what we can do to overcome it and help create more representative, equitable and accountable AI. I'm Scott Herms. I'm a senior technical director at Kinnancarta and the host of this podcast. Welcome. Please make yourself comfortable, or uncomfortable if that's your thing, and join me as we look at problems worth solving and the technology that can be used to solve them. This is Working Better. First, a little algorithm in AI 101. Let's say an algorithm is a building. Data points and lines of code are like brick, mortar, and concrete. Raw material used in different ways for different purposes. Some become apartment buildings, some become museums, and thankfully, some become Wendy's restaurants. Artificial intelligence, then, is sort of like a city. A collection of different buildings all designed to interact, depend on, and benefit from one another. Today, we're going to talk a lot about algorithms. The buildings designed by people which can accomplish extraordinary things, but can also cause harm in all sorts of ways. When you would go wash your hands and you put your hand under the sink, would it work automatically? Yeah, so typically. Yeah. That's Dina McKay, a delivery consultant here at Kinnancarta, talking with our producer, Max, who is white. Max thought Dina might be checking up on his COVID hygiene, but she was actually illustrating just how widespread this issue is, even with a fairly low-tech example. Me being a person of color, it doesn't work automatically. Sometimes I have to like move my hand around or sometimes I have to maybe even go to an entirely different sink because the way that these things were created wasn't with a diverse thought. And sometimes people who are brown, black minorities, we don't, our hands don't automatically get recognized even just for washing our hands, which is crazy because we need to wash our hands. Yes, we do. And with that type of fundamental failure, it doesn't take much to imagine how it could lead to much more severe consequences. I was talking to a guest called Everett Harper. He's a CEO out in Silicon Valley. And we were saying, if you have that concept of we can barely wash our hands, imagine what would happen if it was a self-driving car and it didn't recognize me walking across the street. 
it's going to hit me. Dean is also the host of another podcast that we highly encourage you to check out called Black Tech Unplugged. It's an amazing podcast where Dina talks with other black people currently working in tech to share their stories about how they got started and encourage other people of color to work in the tech industry. If you've ever heard anything about racial bias in AI, you may have heard about the remarkable work of Joy Bolamwini. In her own words, Joy is a poet of code who uses art and research to illuminate the social implications of artificial intelligence. Joy was working at the MIT Media Lab when she made a startling discovery. Joy explains via a talk at the 2019 World Economic Forum. I was working on a project that used computer vision, didn't work on my face until I did something. I pulled out a white mask and then I was detected. In the talk, Joy shows a video of herself sitting in front of a computer vision system. White male faces are recognized immediately, but when she sits down, nothing, until she puts on an expressionless, seemingly plastic white mask. Joyce set out to determine why this was happening, to uncover the biases within widely used facial recognition systems, and help build solutions to correct the issue. Joy's story is the subject of a new documentary called Coded Bias, which premiered at Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. Joy is also the founder of the Algorithmic Justice League, an organization aiming to illuminate the social implications and dangers of artificial intelligence. As Joy says, if black faces are harder for AI to detect accurately, it means there's a much higher chance they'll be misidentified. Take the story of Robert Williams, a man from Detroit wrongfully accused for a crime he didn't commit. In a piece produced by the ACLU, Robert describes his conversation with police after he was first detained. A detective turns over a picture of a guy inside Shinola, and he's like, so that's not you? I look, I said, no, that's not me. He turns another paper over, he say, I guess that's not you either. I picked that paper up and hold it next to my face. And I said, this is not me. I was like, I hope y'all don't think all black people look alike. And then he says, the computer says it's you. It wasn't. Well, companies including Amazon and IBM announced they were halting the development of facial recognition programs for police use, Robert's story is unfortunately becoming all too common. But the dangers of bias in AI aren't always so easily seen and demonstrated. They're not always as tangible as a computer seeing a white face but not a black face, or a soap dispenser recognizing white hands more than black hands. One study found that a language processing algorithm was more likely to rate white names as more pleasant than black names. In 2016, an algorithm judged a virtual beauty contest of over 600,000 applicants from around the world, and almost exclusively chose white finalists. There are well-documented cases in healthcare, financial services, the justice system, the list goes on. So how do these things happen? The most obvious place to start is with the data being fed into an algorithm. For image recognition models, the algorithms used in things like soap dispensers or facial recognition software, if the data is being trained on mostly white faces or white hands, it's going to learn to recognize white skin more easily. Joy gave the phenomenon a name. I ran into a problem, a problem that I call the pale male data issue. And so in machine learning, which are the techniques being used for computer vision, hence finding the pattern of a face, data is destiny. And right now, if we look at many of the training sets or even the benchmarks by which we judge progress, we find that there's an overrepresentation of men, 75% male for this national uh, benchmark from the US government, 80% lighter a skin individuals. So pell-mell data sets are destined to fail the rest of the world, which is why we have to be intentional about being inclusive. 
In 2015, Amazon experienced a similar situation. Uh, recruiters at Amazon had built an experimental AI model to help streamline the company's search for top talent. The tool took thousands of candidates' resumes and would quickly identify top prospects, saving hiring managers countless hours. Even when the algorithm was designed to weigh gender neutrally, Amazon found it was heavily favoring men. Why? The benchmark for top talent was developed by observing patterns in resumes Amazon had received over the previous 10 years, which belonged to, you guessed it, mostly men. The system learned to penalize resumes containing words like women's, as in women's college or women's debate team, because they weren't phrases likely to show up in previous applicants' resumes. It really comes down to just, you need more multidisciplinary people making these decisions, right? Twitter was invented by a bunch of white guys at a table, and they never thought of any problems that wouldn't affect them as white guys. That's Max Young, a UX designer from the Kinnan Carter UX team. Max says that often the simplest place to start is by looking at who is in the room. Dina agrees. I would always like to see more people who look like me in the workplace doing tech work. I think what people are getting wrong about diversity and inclusion is not only having people feel welcome at the door, but actually meeting people where they are to get them to the party. So a lot of places aren't, they say they can't find diversity and they can't find diverse candidates, but are you meeting them where they are? Like, have you gone to an HBCU to see if there's anyone, a person of color who might want to, you know, join your company? There are also cases where algorithms that overlook broader systemic issues like gender and racial inequality can actually continue to reinforce them. To help explore this idea, we sat down with Kyle Hundeman. Kyle leads a team at the Data Science and Analytics Lab at American Family Insurance. If your algorithm is a mirror of humanity, you failed and your algorithm is biased. It really is the simplest way to understand it. AI isn't really artificial intelligence. At Kin and Carta, we often prefer to think of it as augmented intelligence, because it's not a computer thinking on its own. It's a computer thinking the way we think and behaving as we behave, which means it needs to be examined very carefully. Take the story of Compass, an algorithm developed to evaluate the likelihood that a criminal will commit a crime again. A 2016 ProPublica study analyzed 10,000 defendants using the Compass system. Their findings were clear. Of all defendants who did not commit a crime over a two-year period, black defendants were twice as likely to be classified as higher risk than their white counterparts. The system had effectively learned to disproportionately evaluate black defendants because it was mimicking the bias that we know exists in arrest records. It's also one of the reasons some are calling for an overhaul of credit reports as we know them in the U.S. The short of it? Beginning in the 1930s, neighborhoods in many American cities were subject to redlining policies, allowing mortgage lenders to label predominantly black neighborhoods as high-risk areas, effectively denying black residents access to credit for years. Even decades after those practices were outlawed, advocates point out even the simplest of data points can lead to disproportionate impact. Kyle helped illustrate one such example, as well as how important, yet still entangled, the conversation can be. Just the use of location and sort of anything that you're doing that's consumer-facing, because you have all of these historical factors of discrimination and injustice in our country, and those often date back hundreds of years and still manifest themselves today and so it's a really tricky question to 
say, well, location can be a proxy for some of these historical injustices. How much is that still present today? How much does that matter in what we're doing right now? And then how much of that is actually sort of perpetuating some of those injustices? And that's where the conversation gets really tricky and really deep. It's is trying to sort of quantify those things or address those things or understand those things deeper. There's clearly no easy solution, but one thing seems clear. The broader social context can't be ignored when algorithms are making decisions about things like hiring, access to loans, or criminal sentencing. Focusing on really narrow data sets and ignoring the backdrop of racial and gender inequality makes as much sense as summarizing 2020 by saying, traffic jams were at an all-time low. Whether it's true or not, you're very much missing the bigger picture. Which begs the question about education. For anyone in the tech world, designers, developers, data scientists, should AI skills and social understanding be considered inseparable, like Laverne and Shirley, bacon and eggs, or being from Minnesota and saying, you betcha. I think it should be. And I think that it's now more culturally relevant than it's ever been before, and it's getting a lot of attention, rightfully so. Or as Max put it, when you get a bunch of engineers together and you say, you know, come up with a system to figure out, you know, credit scores or, you know, maybe it'd be good to have a historian in there to say, we've actually come across this problem before. Let's try to fix it rather than just maintain the situation. Kyle says one of the most powerful examples of multidisciplinary teams could be in how companies are addressing diversity and inclusion. So we've seen sort of recently diversity and inclusion departments pop up in corporations, I think those will become technical. And I think you'll have bias audits where you have technical people that this is their focus and they want to make sure that corporations are being responsible. We also asked Kyle about the responsibility of folks like him to uncover and uproot issues of algorithmic bias. He said in many ways, it's about better data science and more accurate models, period. I think it's a healthy way to look at it as due diligence, and it should be core to any sort of modeling exercise. I think there are a lot of situations where that's actually beneficial to model development, and that bias might actually hurt performance, where you're oversampled, you have one class that's overrepresented, that's a fundamental flaw in your data, and you need to fix that. You want to fix that issue no matter what your task is or what your data looks like. So. I think in a lot of situations, and there's empirical evidence of this, is fixing some of these biases issues actually improves your model and actually improves your accuracy. So, with a system like Compass, how do we fix it? We can't really say, because Compass is a proprietary algorithm owned by its creators. Which brings us to another key issue here, transparency. AI's black box. Black box. Black boxes. Black box. Black box. Black box. Black box. Black box. The black box. And no, not the thing on a plane that holds all its juicy plane secrets. Also, fun fact, did you know that black boxes on planes are never black at all, but actually bright orange so they can be found more easily in the event of a crash? In the case of AI, it's still not something physical, but perhaps more black in its lack of visibility. We asked Kyle to help explain what the black box issue with deep learning is really all about. Because the combinations are, are endless and you can't really pinpoint how a single input moves through that network and interacts with all these other features and lights up neurons partially or fully. There's just so much depth and so much interaction throughout this whole thing 
can't peel it apart. When we can't peel it apart, how do we know how an algorithm is coming to an answer? And how do we know it's being unbiased in arriving at that answer? In response to more calls for transparency, big tech firms have released a variety of different toolkits to help give a window into how AI systems work. Earlier this year, Microsoft released its new Fair Learn toolkit for its machine learning platform on Azure, allowing anyone using the platform to test and hopefully prevent incidents of bias. LinkedIn released their Fairness Toolkit, used to govern how AI recommends job listings, shared content, or potential job candidates. This type of transparency is at least a step in the right direction, right? That's what we asked Nicholas Kaiser Brill from Algorithm Watch, a nonprofit organization based in Berlin, Germany, that's focused on research and advocacy about algorithms and their impact on society. Nicholas pointed out that transparency is important, but really only part of the equation. It's, uh, of course, very important to look under the hood, but I wouldn't say that transparency is the most important issue. The most important issue is enforcement. The problem is that we know there is a problem. We know which companies are the problem. I mean, when I, as a journalist, call the enforcement organizations, they're like, oh, thank you very much. Uh, We might look into it in five years because they have uh, no funding, no expertise, uh, and no political support to simply enforce the law. So no business in their right mind will ever be transparent to the point that they admit to breaking the law. This will never happen. Uh, So any amount of transparency will bring nothing if enforcement organizations do not ensure that the law is being respected. So should algorithms be better regulated? Should the public and the government treat data and artificial intelligence like any other potentially dangerous commodity? Nicholas says the way we look at food service can be a helpful comparison. When you go to the restaurant, you don't ask to go to the kitchen in the name of transparency uh, to look for yourself which bacteria are living there. You trust that the government sends hygiene inspectors uh, to do it on your behalf. Another good example of a group that can cause great harm or good are doctors. What if we looked at medicine as an example of how to regulate AI and ensure that it meets ethical standards? Doctors are regulated privately by medical boards and publicly regulated by state licensing agencies. In this case, we need an industry group to set standards for what tests AI should be subject to in order to validate its fairness. These tools, like the Fairness Toolkit, would be open source. State or federal law could mandate that the AI has to pass those tests in order to be deployed. Ideally, the AI algorithm itself would be open source, but until we can get companies to give up their intellectual property, Passing a consistent set of black box tests would be better than nothing. Even now, you can work with the Algorithmic Justice League and request an algorithmic audit, much in the same way we currently work with security firms to do a security audit. The debate about regulating AI and algorithms will undoubtedly continue. The ethical questions are complicated, and at least in the short run, it looks as though the responsibility will be up to the builders, the makers, the practitioners creating these systems to be really deliberate in how we understand the impact of algorithmic bias. Better hold ourselves accountable and ultimately prove that AI can actually improve the human mind rather than just imitate it. Because remember what Kyle told us. If your algorithm is a mirror of humanity, you failed and your algorithm is biased. Speaking of groundbreaking feats of human achievement, it's about that time. That's right, folks. It's Cooler Terms with Pooler and Herms. Joining me as always is Katie Pooler. And, and Katie, I just realized that I introduce myself every episode, but you never have. Thanks for bringing us up, Scott. You know, truthfully, I think I needed a few episodes before I was comfortable enough to 
you know, formally attach my name to the podcast. Uh, okay, I, I can understand that, but I don't think you really need to be concerned because hardly anyone listens to this podcast. So I, I think you'll be okay to introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Katie Pooler, and in addition to being our CFO or Chief Fun Officer, I also work for our Connective Digital Services team here at Kinnacarta. In fact, Connective Digital Services is the official cooler term for IT. And we do a lot of things, but essentially, I'm a solutions or a systems engineer on the operational side of Kinnacarta. People come to me with problems, and it's my job to find a solution. In fact, I think this is why you asked me for help with the podcast. You, you are correct. But, you know, th- thanks for not starting with, for those of you who don't know me, you know, when you're just introducing yourself. I mean, I, I don't get that. Isn't that what all introductions are for? For people who don't know you? For those of you who don't know me, I'm our president and CFO. I climbed Kilimanjaro last week, and I have immaculate credit and a perfect work attendance. For those of you who do know me, don't tell them that I'm full of shit. Yeah, and I also feel like there's some kind of like hidden aggression underneath there whenever you say, for those of you who don't know me, there's a sort of an implied, how dare you? How dare you not know me? I am clearly someone you should already know. You know who does know me, Scott? The algorithm. It knows what I want, knows what I need. I assume this thing knows everything about me. So where's our algorithm-inspired soulmates? It's 2020. I'm stuck inside. Hate being on Zoom all day. I happen to live alone. I have been so, so close to purchasing cardboard cutouts of random celebrities just so I can add some variety to my social life. I'm just saying that the algorithm knows what I want before I want it. Why can't we use these powers for good? Okay, so what would you like the algorithm to do? Okay, hear me out. I wish we were able to use our unconscious biases more effectively and not to discriminate towards race, gender, abilities. I'm talking about using algorithms to determine, is this person more likely to microwave fish in the break room? Will they take off their shoes on an airplane? Do they like Big Bang Theory? I would pay cash money for that service. Seriously, though, that show is awful. I don't need an unbiased algorithm to tell me that. All right, thanks for tuning in. Let us know what you think of the podcast. And if you have any ideas for future episodes, reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, or just dream it to us on the astral plane. We are everywhere. Working Better has been brought to you by the year 2020. We've already had a plague, wildfires, hurricanes, and murder hornets. Isn't it time we start working better?